a statement of faith. This is my Bible. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Woo, faith come by living too. I don't know what that word wanted to sneak in there. You may be seated. This morning, I don't have a scripture text that I'll be following. I want to talk to you about the big three or how, the number, how big the number three is. But I also want to briefly mention the big three. In case you might be wondering who the big three are, they are the same three that are spoken about in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, where it reads, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When we look at this passage of scripture, we see the big three in no particular order. We see Jesus, the son who was baptized. We see the spirit of God in the form of a dove descending from heaven and we hear the voice of God, the Father, speaking. Normally, we are accustomed to hearing about the big three in the order of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I wanted to let you know that ahead of time, who I would be talking about so that there would be no confusion. We worship one God who is manifest in three distinct persons. In the Holy Trinity, those distinct persons are three in one. They are of the same essence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are all three equally God in their being, power, and holiness, and all three are eternal. God is one in substance and three in person. Scripture verifies both the oneness of God and the deity of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Father is our creator, the Son our redeemer, and the Spirit our sanctifier. The word Trinity means three in the unity of one. But guess what? That word is nowhere in the Bible. Theologians have tried to explain the personality of God, but God is beyond human comprehension. We understand a part of who God is, but not all of who he is. He is our loving father who chose us before we chose him. He had a plan for us since the beginning, and nothing can change his promises that he has made to us. He is Jesus the son who died for us while we were yet sinners. And he is the spirit that applies the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, which allows us the benefit of salvation. 
God is not some actor who appears on stage as one person and comes back as another person. He is not a God who comes to you as the father one day, and then on tomorrow, he's the son, and then the next day, he's the Holy Spirit. Whenever God shows up, he's always shows up as the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit in one God. There was never a time when the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit never worked together as God. This is shown in the first chapter of Genesis. He says, let us make man. Who is us? It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah, the sixth chapter, the same thing takes place again. God asked the question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who is us? It is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They make up the Holy Trinity. Someone might ask the question, is the Trinity important and does it really matter? And the answer is yes. You see, Christianity rises or falls on this doctrine. Because if there is no trinity, Christianity crumbles. If the doctrine of the trinity is not true, then Jesus is not God. Therefore, that means that he was created and that he is not eternal. The book of Hebrews <clears throat> makes it very clear that our sin, for our sin to be atoned for, an eternal sacrifice had to be found, an eternal high priest, an eternal mediator. If Jesus is not God, because we all know that God is eternal, then there is no such sacrifice. There is no such high priest and no such mediator. It reads, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. As mentioned before, the Holy Trinity consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They make up our big three. So when you hear me mention the big three or our big three later on, you'll know who I'm speaking of.
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. When the apostle Paul talks about his life, he speaks of it as running a race or a marathon. He doesn't talk about finishing in first place. He talks about finishing, but he's focused on having a strong finish because he has strong faith. This marathon that Paul was running didn't start until after his conversion on the road to Damascus. I'm talking about his Christian race. Now, I don't know when your race started, and there may be someone under the sound of my voice who has not started their race yet. But maybe you will, and hopefully it will be today. Sometimes we refer to pastor as coach. Not because he played football or used to coach football and knows the game, but because a coach leads and instructs athletes. Their intention is to make them better at the sport in which they are participating. And that is what pastor does here at Stride. He leads us and he instructs us. And he knows the Bible and his goal is to make us better Christians and better disciples of Christ. He's the coach of team striving and we the members are the Christian athletes. The Holy Spirit is a coach. The Holy Spirit leads and instructs and he knows the Bible. And he knows the Bible because he is the Bible. And the Bible is the living word of God. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is the head coach for all the Christian athletes everywhere and for every disciple of Jesus Christ. There are coaches that specialize in coaching one particular sport. And there are coaches that are knowledgeable enough to coach more than one sport. Pastor has to be that kind of coach. I say that because our Christian team is composed of many individuals who would like to play different sports. Because a lot of us, especially me, I don't want to do a lot of running. But I want to be put in the game. I don't know what game you would compare your Christian walk to or if you compared your walk to a game at all. But in the wide world of team sports today, everybody desires to have a big three. I didn't play football, so if I had to choose a sport to pattern my walk after, it would be basketball. So this morning I will use some basketball terminology to help me with getting my point across. In the professional sport of basketball, it's not uncommon for athletes to get together in the offseason and talking about putting a team together in order to accomplish their goal of winning the NBA championship. It appears that winning a championship ring is the only thing that matters, and teams and athletes will do anything at any cost to win that ring. It's almost like the sports world is saying or making you feel like no game can be won without a big three. But that's not totally true, as we saw in the last year's NBA Finals. The Denver Nuggets did not have a big three, but they had a dynamic duo. You see, before the big threes came to be, there were dynamic duos in the NBA. There was Jordan and Pippen, Shaq and Kobe. You had Stockton and Malone, just to name a few. But not just in sports did you have dynamic duos. 
Some of my heroes that I grew up with were dynamic duos. You couldn't have Batman without Rocky. You couldn't have the Lone Ranger without Tonto. You couldn't have the Cisco Kid without Poncho. You couldn't have the Green Hornet without Kato. You couldn't have lettuce without tomatoes. And my most favorite one, you couldn't have peanut butter. Must have been your favorite duo also. Oh. But I must be honest with you. There is one game that you can't win unless you have the big three, and that is the game of life. As members of the Christian team, that's the team that we're on. We have the big three. And our big three was before time existed. If it were not for our big three, there would be no us. I'm not hating on LeBron, y'all. The term big three became more noticeable when the professional basketball player LeBron James decided that he wanted to take his talents to South Beach, Miami, Florida. There he would, he would join Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh to form what they thought would be a Miami Heat dynasty for years to come. And although big three teams are formed, it doesn't guarantee them that they will win the championship each year. The team in Miami was pretty good, but they didn't win every year. But to keep in stride anyway, other teams decided they needed to stack their teams in order to have a big three just to be competitive. Big threes weren't new news to sports because prior to the Miami Heat, there had been big three teams in the past. The Celtics had Bird, McHale, and Parrish. The Lakers had Magic, Worthy, and Kareem. The Cowboys had Aikman, Smith, and Irving. And there were others. And although those big threes that I mentioned made sports history, they are in no comparison to our big three. Without our big three, there would be no history to be made. I'm going to give you a quick something about our big three. Our big three are the originals. And it is guaranteed that if you play on our team, you'll win. And when you join our team, you don't have to worry about trying out for a position because we can have an unlimited number of players. That's enough right now. When I was sitting back thinking about the big three, I thought about the number three and how big of a role it played in our lives. So I decided to see how much I could find out about the number three. Now some of you may be thinking to yourself, the number three ain't no different than no other number. But as I look at it, it has played a major role in our upbringing. First of all, the three is one of 10 digits we see or use in everyday numerals. It is truly a very important number in the Bible and in our lives. For in the Bible it says completeness and wholeness, much like the number seven, but on a smaller scale. The number three is associated with good fortune, 
harmony, wisdom, and understanding. It is often seen as a sign of energy, possibility, and curiosity. It is the symbol of creativity, communication, and expression. It is also symbolic of us as human ourselves because our minds, our bodies, and our souls work together in unity. Now, I don't know about you, but the number three played a big part in my growing up and is very meaningful in my personal life. My mom's birthday is in the third month of the year, and she is the third oldest child. My dad was born on the third day of the only month that has three letters. And he died on the same day on the same, in the same month that he was born, his birthday. I have three biological children, and I have three grandchildren. In school, I was read stories about the three little pigs, Goldilocks and the three bears, and the three Billy Goats gruff. There were the three stooges, the three musketeers, the three chipmunks, Alvin, Theodore, and Simon. And the cereal that I ate had three representatives, Snap, Crackle, and Pop. There were three main television stations, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And the three main flavors of ice cream at that time were chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. Our schools used to take us on field trips to the Three Rings Circus. Now, whether you believe it or not, the number three is very vital and has an important role in our everyday lives. And some things cannot be done without the number three. Now, just think about this. In sports, a three-peat is better than a repeat. There are some games that are divided into four quarters, and the game doesn't end until the completion of the fourth quarter. But without the number three, you have no third quarter. Therefore, you can't get to the fourth quarter, so that game is null and void. In the game of baseball, a complete game consists of nine innings being played. Without the number three, you have no third in, so that game got to be canceled. It takes three outs for a team to get off the playing field defensively in order for them to come up and get their turn and back. If there's no three, they're going to be out in the field forever. And unless a batter is walked, hit by a ball, or gets some sort of base hit, he would be at the plate batting forever because it takes three strikes for him to be considered out. And even if they did get on base, they could never score a run because you have to touch third base before you get to home plate. Ain't it something about the number three? If you're a wrestler, in order to win your match, you have to hold your opponent down until the count of three. Without the number three, you would be holding him down forever. 
The Apollo missions to the moon could never have happened because the countdown would have to stop once it reached four because there was no three to come afterwards. Can you imagine what the traffic would be like if there were the only two colored lights, red and green, and we didn't have the third one yellow? And how important would Steph Curry be to the NBA if it wasn't for the three-point shot? There's something about the number three. Now, although teams have a big three, there still has to be that one standout player, the one that stands high above the rest, the one that everyone else on the team chooses to follow, the one that they would consider the go-to guy when the game is on the line. To be successful, every team has to have one, and we have one on our team, too. Now, I'm not hating on LeBron James, and I realize that it was just a marketing strategy that the Nike com company was using, but since he entered the league, he has been put on a pedestal. And I would like to use him as a comparison. I am, and I'm using him based on his statistics. He could be considered the best basketball player of his era. Some may even say all time. He has been that one standout player on every team that he has played on. And I want to compare him to the one outstanding player on our team. But in reality, there's really no comparison. There are three things that rubbed me wrong about the way that Nike did it. Because the first thing that I thought about was the Bible, and that was way back then. I don't know why, but this is the direction that I went. The first is chosen one. In February of 2002 AD, LeBron James first appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and he was deemed the chosen one. It was predicted that he would be the new face of the NBA at a very young age. And I'm not mad about it because they were right. But when I look in the book of Isaiah chapter 42, which was written approximately 700 to 681 B.C., and this is God speaking, it says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. When I looked up the word elect in the dictionary, the first word that I saw in big bold letters was chosen. So if I go back and read the change the word and change the word elect to chosen, it would read, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. My question to you this morning is, Whose chosen one do you think is better? Sports Illustrated or God's? Then there was King. Michael Jordan had long been the face of Nike. And when you heard Air Jordan, you automatically knew who he was and what brand of athletic shoe and clothing he was representing. By now, they had a new face 
to represent them. And they needed a name that would stand out so that when it was heard, everyone would know who you were talking about. So they crowned him King James. Now, I don't know why, but the first thing that I thought about was the Holy Bible. You see, King James I was the first king of the United Kingdom. And it was while he was in this position of authority that the Bible was published. Thus, we have the King James Version of the Bible. So I felt that they were trying to raise him up above all the rest of the basketball players by giving him the moniker of king, giving him a position of authority before he really even earned it. But we all know that the best player on our team, God's chosen one, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now, I'm not trying to make LeBron James equal to Jesus. I'm just using his exceptional skills as a basketball player and the status that the Nike company gave him as an illustration. Witness. In November of 2005, there was a 110-foot-high, 212-foot-wide billboard across the street from where LeBron played basketball that said, We are all witnesses. It paid tribute to LeBron and acknowledged the legions of fans worldwide who are witnessing his greatness, power, and athleticism. That's not what I'm saying. That's what was written. What I'm saying is that God's chosen one uses the world as his billboard. And each and every day, in one way or another, we are all witnesses of his power and his greatness. As a matter of fact, he has not been limited to just having witnesses for 82 games a year for the last 19 years. He's had witnesses worldwide every day for the last 2,023 years. As far as athleticism, you can throw LeBron or alley-oop and he can jump up and he can catch the ball, spin around in the air, dunk it in the rim before he comes down. But if you throw our best player, God's chosen one, or alley-oop. You don't have to worry about throwing it up too high. And I'm not talking about basketballs. I'm talking about throwing up your cares, throwing up your concerns, and throwing up your worries. But I need you to know that he's just not catching our cares, concerns, or worries. He's catching the whole world's. And when he's done catching all these alley-oops, he's coming down. And when he does, game over for the whole world. LeBron has done some great things while playing the sport of basketball, but he's getting old and we can see. One day Sports Illustrated's chosen one and Nike's king is going to have to sit down and retire but not God's chosen one, not the king of kings. He said he would be with us always, and he's still doing all that he said that he would. 
still performing the miracles and doing the things at a level far above what our minds could ever imagine. And he hasn't stopped. He won't stop because he can't stop. That's three stops, ain't it? There's something about the number three. Now, I need for you to please lend me your biblical imagination for just a few minutes. If you would, allow me to give personalities for just a moment to the ten digits, zero through nine. Now, imagine the ten digits all sitting in one room. Some of them are boasting and all caught up in themselves talking about how important they are to the world, trying to make themselves look more important than the other. If we were able to look in or listen in, what would, what would, what would, what would we hear? We'd probably hear nine barking out orders to everybody else. He'd probably be the bully in the room because he's the biggest. Eight would be saying that he describes the number of hours a day a person needs to sleep and how many hours a day they work. Seven would be saying that he represents completeness and he'd be bragging about how lucky he is. Six would be putting herself up on a pedestal because she's considered a perfect number. And her friend Five would be on the phone trying to find a nail salon that's open because she, it's important that she gets her five fingers on each hand and her five toes on each foot manicured and pedicured. Four would be boasting because he represents the four seasons and there are four gospels in the Bible. Two would be emphasizing the fact that everything that she comes in contact with is twice as good. One would be walking around the room with his chest stuck out, declaring that everybody wants to be like him. Then there's zero. He's sitting in the corner all alone because eight out of the last ten digits have convinced him that he doesn't amount to anything. They told him that he would be nothing without them. They even went to his parents and said, your mama wasn't nothing and your daddy wasn't nothing. So that means you're not going to be nothing. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice ever heard anything like that? Anybody ever told you that you wouldn't amount to nothing? And then there's three. He's just sitting quietly and humbly listening to them all. Not saying a mumbling word. And every digit, except zero, walks over and gets into his face. Six looks at him in his eyes and asks boldly, three, what are you good for? And before he can open his mouth, the rest of them shout out, absolutely nothing. Then they all laugh as loud as they can. Then three stands up from where he's sitting. 
he looks over at zero and tells him to hold your head up. Don't let them make you feel like you aren't important. Don't let them make you feel like you are nobody. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice who has ever heard anything like that? If it is, I want you to know that I know somebody who took nothing and made something. He looked at zero and he told him that the matter of fact is that without you, they can be no more than what they are now. But with you behind them, backing them up, they become 10, 100, 1,000, or many times more powerful than they are now, depending on how many of you there are behind them. They need you, zero. Then he looked at the rest of the digits and told them, you're right. You are very important to the world when you are in your proper place. And he told them, I'm not much, but I believe that I do matter. He said, first of all, I have a connection to he who is, who was, and who is to come. Three. I was there when time, space, and matter was created. Three. When he created time, he created past, present, and future. Three. When he created space, he created height, length, and depth. Three. When he created matter, he made it to be gas, solid, or liquid. Three. When he decided that he wanted to write the world a holy book, he started it out with the words in the beginning. Three. They looked at him, and he said, he made me a part of that book. I don't have time to tell you everything, but if you were to read the book, you'd see me in a few places. In the scriptures, you see Noah, who built the ark that saved mankind, had three sons. You see the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see the three men believed to be angels who appeared to Abraham. The ark of the covenant contained three objects on the inside, a gold jar of manna, Aaron's budded staff, and the tablets with the commandments. You see Job, who was blameless, upright, and who feared God. Three. He had three daughters. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den for praying three times a day. Three Hebrew boys were thrown in the fiery furnace, but I don't know if I can use this one because when the king went to check on the Hebrew boys, he said he saw a fourth man walking around in the fire that looked like the son of God. Jonah was inside the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Paul was shipwrecked three times, and three times he asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh. There were three wise men from the east who showed up at the stable to present three gifts to Jesus at his birth. Jesus was tempted by Satan three times, and three times Jesus slapped Satan in the face with the three words, it is written, meaning the word of God. Ain't it something about the number three? 
Lazarus laid in the tomb for three days before Jesus raised him from the dead. Jesus' ministry lasted three years. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him three times, and three times Peter said, you know I love you. And right after that, Peter denied Jesus three times. There were three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were considered Jesus' inner circle. These are the same three disciples who were with Jesus when he prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And three times he asked them to stay awake and watch with him. And every time he went back, all three times, they were asleep. Jesus declared in the book of John that if this temple was destroyed, meaning his body, he would raise it up again in three days. There were three crosses on the hill, and there were three men who were crucified on that day with Jesus. There were three nails used to put Jesus up on the cross at the third hour of the day, Roman time. When they raised him up on the cross, the first three words that he said was, Father, forgive them. The lamb was covered in darkness while he suffered from the sixth to the ninth hour. Three. He took his last breath at the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. But before he gave up the ghost, the apostle John said he spoke his last three words. It is finished. They laid him in the tomb and he got up on the third day just like he said he would. Digit three looked at the other digits in the room and said the next time you mention the number three, you better put some respect on it. You see, I'm in communion with the triune God, meaning that there is one God who exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Trinity, in other words, the big three. I know that it might sound strange to some of you, and it's hard to understand, but God is infinite. He's beyond us, and this should not be discouraging, but it should be encouraging. Because if we were to know everything about God, would he be big enough to save us? But my God is big. He's so big to his throne has to set up in the third heaven. Sometimes when we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves more than we ought to. We get caught up in the self-proclaimed big three of me, myself, and I. And we diminish the importance of the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we look at our Christian walk as a sport, we realize that as Christian athletes, that our coach, the Holy Spirit, is telling us that we're obligated to go out and recruit and find more players. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We recruit by spreading the good news. And once we find the new recruits or potential recruits and they desire to become our teammates, we are to baptize them in the name of our big three. And what's so special about our big three is that they are all one. 
Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. All heads bowed and all eyes.